live a perfect life. He came to be the living word of our life. He came to die so we'd be reconciled. And he came to rise to show his power and life. So join with us as we sing. That's why we praise him. Would you be free from your burdens? 
Again, good morning. We're going to give this a couple minutes, and Jared's going to fight like crazy back there, trying to trying to adjust me. 
we did a sound check before the service and everything works wonderful. And then all of a sudden we put people into the gym and the acoustics all change. And all of a sudden you end up with an echo where, you know, 35, 40 minutes earlier, uh, it wasn't there. And uh, everything goes on. But thank you for your work back there on the soundboard and for everybody who volunteers back there. It's always a challenging job. And I know from years of sitting there, um, it's, it's quite often a never a win-win you know, situation. There's always something that's coming up and electronics break, and yet the, the team and the people who are working back there continue to press forward. And so I thank you for everybody who works there. And, and certainly, um, I'll throw out the plug, uh, certainly can always use more help um, in those types of ministries and to come alongside them. Now this morning, we're going to look at Zechariah chapter 6. There's not going to be a whole lot of introduction as we look at this chapter. Uh, We'll end up jumping right into it. But I do want to read from God's Word and for us to read Zechariah chapter 6 together. Uh, A lot of images that come forward in this chapter. Hopefully a lot of things that we can apply to our lives and understand what God wants to say to us today here in 2020. And God's Word says through the prophet Zechariah reading from chapter 6. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. And I asked the angel who was speaking to me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going toward the, toward the north country, the one with the white horses toward the west, and the one with the dappled horses toward the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go out throughout the earth. And he said, Go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. And then he called to me, Look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. The word of the Lord came to me, Take silver and gold from the exiles held by... Tobiah, Tobijah and Jediah who have arrived from Babylon go the same day to the house of Josiah son of Zephaniah take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest Joshua son of Jehozak tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says here is the man whose name is the branch and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. And the crown will be given to Heldiah and Tobijah and Jedidiah and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if diligent, if you diligently obey the Lord your God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you do speak to your word today. You've given us your word to be a light unto our feet, to be a light that shines into our lives, to be a word that corrects us and guides us, to be truth that speaks into our lives. And may we hear your word this morning. May we hear from your Holy Spirit. May your truth rest upon us. May we walk away with a deeper understanding of how we can live for you today because of the words of Zechariah to the people of Judah so many years ago. We thank you for being with us in this house this morning. 
and for your word that touches our lives. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, not a lot of introduction today to get into this chapter. I'm, we're in chapter 6 of Zechariah. Again, full of a lot of images, uh, a lot of images that I'm going to try and go through this morning, help us to get an understanding, because understanding those images will help us get an understanding of where we're at today. And to see what God was saying to the people of Judah through Zechariah, uh, this, was, this is something that was given to them, and it is there for us. And so we're going to look and see how this can impact us today. And so I'm going to jump right in and start right away. I'm going to go through the points. So not again, not a lot of introduction. And I want to start looking at the first several verses that are here, the first four or five verses that are in chapter six. And for us to start to understand the power of God that rests in these verses and the power of God that is there for us. And I'm going to repeat them again. I looked up again and there were before me four chariots. So we have four chariots. We would get the pictures in our mind. We have four chariots and those chariots were going between two mountains. They were mountains of bronze, exclamation point. So we can't miss the point that we have mountains of bronze. So we have a chariot that has red horses, multiple horses pulling the chariot. You got the picture in your mind. So we have a chariot with the red horses going, a chariot with the black horses going, a chariot with the white horses going, and a chariot with the, the dappled horses. And all of them were powerful. And then he asked the angel of the Lord, what, what are these? What is this? What is this? What, what's going on here? So we have colored horses again. And if we go all the way back to chapter 1, we have colored horses in chapter 1. And so I'm going to recap from chapter 1 and bring it back forward into chapter 6 to try and understand when we talk about colored horses in the Bible. Uh, some of them would be easy for us to understand. The red horses stand for bloody warfare. And when you think about warfare, think about the horses running through warfare, and the red represents just a bloody battle that would go on. Uh, when we have the black horses, I think this one would be easiest for to understand as well. Black horses mean death, destruction. And so when's the last time you saw a white hearse? Most of the time they're gray or black uh, because it's, it's death. It's, it's a sad time. I'm going to put that out there. Whoever plans my funeral, I'd like to have a white hearse um, because we're going to move from black, standing for death, destruction, and we're going to move to white. And what does white stand for? Triumph, victory. When's the last time, you know, if you look at old movies and you, you, know, you have the, the white horse with all of the rulers marching into the city. We've just won the battle. They're in their beautiful robes. And they're going, the white horse stands for victory, for triumph, for, for everything that's good. And I'm going to say from a Christian perspective why I said I want a white, her, or a white hearse, at, not a white horse, a white hearse at my funeral is because it's a time of victory for a Christian. It's a time of celebration. I am absent from the body and I am present with the Lord. And, and that is where we are going when this life is over, if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so we have the white horses that stand for for victory and for triumph. And then you get into the dappled horses and it, it, dappled horses stand for a mix of all, all of it. It's not brown, it's not white, it's not black, it's not red, it's dappled, it's a mixed color, and you have a lot of other things going on. So what does all of this stand for? I understand that they're all powerful kingdoms. Uh, these, these stand for kingdoms of God that were going to go forth, and they were all powerful. God's word says to them, all of them, says to us, all of them were powerful. Uh, if you go back to Daniel, if you go back to some other books in the Bible, we're talking about four kingdoms that would come about, and they're known as the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Grecian kingdom, and then the Roman Empire. 
And when you look at all four of those kingdoms, they all had very different aspects to them. One of them came about, like the Babylonian Empire came about in a very bloody, a lot of battles. And then you came about the Persian Empire and you talk about a lot of death, a lot of destruction. The Grecian kingdom that was brought about and is very triumphal, very victorious. And then the Roman kingdom, which was a mix of all of it in there. So you get the imagery that I'm bringing forward. So I'm just trying to explain that. Uh, not a lot of application to our lives. But when I want to get to the application, that's why I said don't miss the mountains. They came out between the mountains of bronze. These aren't mountains that you just wash into the sea, or a little dirt hill. This is God's power. God's power who sent these nations forth. God's power that was in control that allowed these nations to even exist we, we read in, in verse 5, The angel answered me, These are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord. God sent these kingdoms to be and to accomplish the purposes of God and the times of God. And nothing was going to change from the fact that God's mountains are described as mountains of bronze, symbolizing for us the God's power and God's control over these kingdoms. And so when we have that, that is where I start to understand where God's application into our lives can be. And so I'm going to support God's power over nations with a couple of scripture verses. Job chapter 12, verse 23. We, we read, He makes nations great and destroys them. He enlarges nations and He disperses them. That's from Job 12:23. In Psalm 22, verse 28, For the kingdom is the Lord's and He rules over the nations. The power of God not only saves, the power of God not only sent His Son to die for us on the cross, the power of God rules over nations. He, he God, decides when nations exist and when nations are going to stop existing. He is the one who raises up nations. He is the one that brings nations down. And so even when we get to verse 8, we see the power of God. Then, then look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit, God, rest in the land of the north. He even uses nations to accomplish things that he wants to have done and uses one nation against another in that way. And so what, how does this power of God, what does it mean in my life? It, it, for me, it means I don't need to worry about those things. I truly don't need to worry about those things. When I go to bed at night, I don't need to worry about some guy who's over in Korea who is threatening to shoot nuclear missiles and blow the world up. I don't have to worry about that because God brings nations into existence. God takes nations out of existence. And God's control is, reaches into our world and controls those nations. And I don't need to live in fear over people who say they're going to threaten the world with nuclear missiles. I don't need to, to live in fear that a nation will rise up and take away my religious freedoms. I don't need to worry about a government who will say that Christians cannot assemble together. I don't need to sit and worry in fear about God no longer being a sovereign God and all of this happening and, and God's hand not being upon it, I can sit back and trust in God and knowing it is the power of God who are over the prince, principalities and the rulers of this world and who governs this world. Now, sometimes we look at governments and we look at countries and we look at nations that exist and we say, how in the world could the hand of God be on that? Yet at the same time, God's hand is on it and God's power sits on it. 
I want to keep moving because we don't sit much with the power of God other than the fact that we need to trust that God's power is there. We even say the Lord's Prayer. We say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. You see, we worry so much. We worry so much about the kingdoms around us, the worldly kingdoms. And God's saying, stop worrying about those. Stop living in fear of those. Let's start worrying about the kingdom of God. Let's start focusing on the kingdom of God. And that's why I see Zechariah's prophecy when he's talking about these kingdoms that would be there to accomplish God's purposes and the power of God controlling them and, and, and moving them forward. And then we start to move forward into other analogies and other symbols that will help us understand the kingdom of God in touching our lives. And so we're going to switch from the power of God and we're going to look at the provision of God. And I'm going to look at two different provisions for us. One of them is pretty straightforward. Uh, starting in verse 9, the word of the Lord came to me, take silver and gold from the exiles. And, and we're given a lot of names. That, that's very simple for me, the provision of God. Here are the people of God were building the temple. They were building the walls of Jerusalem. They were doing everything they can to, to bring this about. And we have the provision of God saying, hey, some people, with, some people are coming with money. That's part of the kingdom of God. We have an offering box that is at the door. Uh, we used to pass the plate around, and now it's at the door for who knows how long. But an offering box is there, and some people are able to put a lot of things in that offering box. And some people are put, able to put a little bit in that offering box, and maybe you're not able to put anything in that offering box. And all of that is okay because God provides into some people's lives to bring silver and gold. And that's the provision of God. And he says, go use it for this. And put it in an offering box. And then for other people, he says, hey, you've got to get busy building the temple. You've got to get out there with your saw and start cutting wood. You've got to get out there with your hammer and your chisel and start chiseling stones. And you're laboring for God here. And so sometimes God says, here's your provision. It's silver and gold. And other times God says, here's people that are laboring and working to build the temple and take care of the things that need to physically be done. And sometimes he brings those things together. And they're in the same person. And it's how God uses each and every one of us. And so that's part of the provision of God. But I want to continue on for us to get to a little bit deeper understanding and see some of these names. We have these people, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jedediah, uh, Jediah, I'll say his name right, Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. I don't think they were the only three people that came back from Babylon with silver and gold, but we're given their names, and I want to get back to that. Because there's a lot of other images that are here. We get this crown. And I want you to understand, these are strange images that I had to grapple with and I think we have to all grapple with. Remember who Joshua is. We have to go back a couple, a couple chapters. I think we have to go all the way back to chapter 3. We talk about Joshua. Who was Joshua? He was the priest. He was the high priest. What would the high priest do? He would be the one serving in the temple. He would be the one taking care of things in the temple. There was a certain way he had to be dressed. And from everything I can remember... The priest did not wear a crown. He wore a turban, but he didn't wear a crown. So start to understand as I go through some of these images how this does not make sense for the priest. And we have to grapple with this a little bit. So here are some of these. Because remember, Joshua is the priest, and he's not a king. So in verse 11, we have a crown, and it's set on the head of Joshua. He's called the branch. He'll build the temple. Joshua's not building the temple. Joshua's supposed to serve in the temple, not build the temple. I, I thought that was the job, job of Zerubbabel. 
He was the one who was supposed to build the temple. But here we have in chapter 6, he's going he's to build the temple of the Lord. And he's going to be clothed in majesty. Wait a minute. The priest should be serving as a humble servant and dressed as a priest, not clothed in majesty like a king would coming back from battle. Um, he will sit and rule. The priest is going to rule? I thought the king would rule. Um, and so, again, another reference to kingship. Uh, he will be a priest who sits on a throne. And again, a reference to ruling and being a priest. And then we're told there's going to be harmony between the two. Do you see how those images don't make sense? They don't make a lot of sense when I'm talking about Joshua. And so if I'm talking about Joshua, and I can see the people of Judah saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, Zechariah, Joshua's supposed to be our priest, and I have Zerubbabel who's supposed to be our leader, our king, who's supposed to be ruling over us. Uh, what are you talking about, Zechariah? And Zechariah is bringing forward, again, another prophecy, the provision of God that would touch our lives. And so this great provision that he's talking about here isn't one of silver or gold. It's the provision of our great high priest, the provision of our eternal king, and we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the true and final temple? I believe we, it's Jesus Christ. He's the one who said, I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. He wasn't talking about the stone building that was up on the hill. He was talking about himself. I will destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Who is clothed in majesty? Psalm 104, verse 1. Praise the Lord my soul. Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed in splendor and majesty. And if I keep on going, who is, who is it who will sit and rule? Revelation 4, 10 through 11. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have being. Who is both priest and king? Read through the book of Hebrews. Jesus Christ. Now I want to get into some of these names because it will point to the provision of God as well. And so hopefully you have that picture of Joshua and all of those images. And, you know, maybe wrote down some notes. Go back and look at it later. I'll share some notes with you if you want. But to understand, we're not talking about Joshua. We're talking about our priest and king. That is the real provision in our lives. But I want to get to some of these names because I don't believe they're there by accident. And if I go back into verse 9 and talk about, about Heldiah. Heldiah stands for the Lord's world. Now hear his name. The Lord's world world. That's Heldiah. If I want to go to Tozah, stands for the Lord is my good. The Lord is my good. If I want to go to Jediah, Jediah stands for God knows or cares for. Later on, we have the name Zephaniah. Zephaniah stands for the Lord hides. We have the name of in some transla translations of, of Josedak. Josedak stands for the Lord supports. We have the name Joshua. It stands for the Lord saves. I don't think those names are there by accident. We are told about the provision of God in our lives. We are told about a God who is our entire world. We're told about a God that is there for our good. We're told about a God who knows us 
and cares for us. We're told about a God who hides us, who is our shelter. We're told about a God who supports us. We're told about a God who saves us. God's provision all given to us in Zechariah chapter 6 in those couple of little verses there. And God is there for us. And that's the provision. The God that you love, the God that I love, the God that you serve is the one that is there for us and takes care of us, protects us and guides us, knows our good. He hides us. He's the shelter in the time of a storm. He's our entire world. He's the one who saves us. He's the one one that supports us in time of trouble. That is Jesus Christ and the God who came and gave his life for us. This book, this book here is about the salvation of the world. It's about the salvation of men and women. And if I take that purpose away, then I miss the point of God's word. And as I go through Zechariah chapter 6, I can't miss it in the middle as I start to look at these names. Again, this was written to, to people of Judah who would have clearly understood right away when those names were given exactly what they meant. You say to me, Heldiah, and I say, well, what's that? And I have to go look it up and understand that it means the Lord's world. But they would have clearly understood what it is. And for us today, we get a better picture understanding those names of God's provision in our lives and a God who loves us and cares for us. And only Jesus Christ can do those things in our lives. And if I want to take the Bible and twist it and turn it and make it into any other kind of book, then I miss the point that God wants to save us and give us that provision in our lives. I'm going to keep going forward with the power of God, the provision of God. And I saved the last verse, and I'm going to spend a lot of time on this last verse, verse 15, because I want to talk about the people of God. It's who you are. It's who I am. We are the people of God. Those who are far away, those who are far away will come and help build the temple of God. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. When they are building the temple, the prophet Zechariah made it very clear that not everybody that was going to build the temple would be part of an exclusive club. Zechariah did not look around at the people who were listening to them and say, okay, all 75 of you, this is it. We're ready. We're going to go. He said, no. He said, those who are far away will come and help. Those who are far away will come and help. The people of God are bigger than the group of people that he was talking to. And he said there are people that will come from far away, far away and join with them and serve and build God's kingdom for them. And so, for us, Ephesians 2.13, do we have a far away gospel? Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Did you know that you were once far away? I was far away. Hopefully you understand you were far away as well. I want to keep going. Ephesians 2.17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away. And peace to those who were near. So there's some people who were near. There's other people who are far away. And we're referring here to the people of Israel were near. But the Gentiles, I'll raise my hand. We're far away. I was far away. Let me keep going. Acts twenty two twenty one. God's saying to Peter, he says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you. I'm sorry, I think it was to Paul. Then the Lord said to me, Go, and I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. In Acts twenty two twenty one, Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, talks about those who are far away will be brought back home. If I go to the book of Isaiah, 
Isaiah talks about the people who were far away and who will be brought back home. When we are lost in our sin, when we are walking in disobedience to God, when we do not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are far, far away from the work of God. We are away from the purposes of God. We are away from the desire of God. We are away from the relationship that we need to have from, with God. We are in the land of far, far away. In Isaiah 59.2, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. They've put us in a place of far, far away. We know the song, Love Lifted Me. Hopefully you know the song, Love Lifted Me. How does the song start off? It starts off with, I was sinking deep in sin. Where? Far. (laughs) Did, Did you get the song? We sing it. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore. I don't have to go any further in that song. We need to understand that the people of God come from far away. And when I say far away, far away may be across the street. Far may be far away may be a half a mile down the road. Far far away may be the next road over. But what far away means is that there are people who do not know. Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and they will come from far away and join with the people of God to continue building the kingdom of God. As long as the people who are building the kingdom of God want them to come from far away and join with them building the kingdom of God. And that's why I believe the message is for us and the message that was from Zechariah to the people of Judah for them to understand that people would come from far away and be part with them in the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter has his vision of the unclean food and he goes to visit Cornelius, he says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts people from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. So even Peter realized and came to that realization that God wants people who are far, far away. If I was to ask the question, what does the people of God look like? What would you answer? What would you answer? And the answer needs to be, the people of God look like us. They look like anybody who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Anyone who has confessed the name of Jesus Christ, who serves Jesus Christ, that is the people of God. And they don't necessarily look like me. They don't always talk like me. They're not as tall as me or as short as me. They're not the same weight as me. They're, they're not the same color as my skin. They're, sometimes they don't even speak the same language of me, but they are still the people of God because the people of God all come from far away, from a place of sin to a place of salvation. And following Zechariah 6.15, and I following this verse through, this will happen if you dil- diligently obey the Lord your God. I can't miss that part of the verse. And I don't want to skip over that. When we come to Jesus Christ, there's still an expectation that we obey the Lord our God as the people of God. As the people of God, we need to make room for more people of God to come and join us. People that don't look like us. People that don't act like us. People that don't say the right words. And we need to welcome them into the kingdom of God. And I want to say why. Because they will never understand the provision of God if we don't allow them to come from far away. There's an old story, and it floats around on the Internet, and I found it in um, 
it was a, the old book, was it Chicken Soup for the Soul, I think was the book, and it's a lot of different books. Uh, there's a story, story about a guy named Bill. I am not going to stand up here and tell you whether this story is true or not. Uh, I have no idea. I will not attest to that in one way or the other. But the story goes on that there's this guy named Bill, and it was back in the 70s when the hippie culture was going on out in California. And Bill was pretty disheveled-type-looking guy. But he went to the university that was right across the street from this very large church, huge church, packed church, full of people every Sunday. And Bill went to this college, and as the culture was, Bill had his very long hair, very rarely washed it, his torn-up old T-shirt that he wore every day, his ripped-up jeans that he wore pretty much every day, and no shoes on his feet because, hey, that's what we're doing today, and that's the way we're going through life. And one Sunday, Bill decided, yeah, I got to go to church. I'm a Christian. I got to go to church. And there's a church that's right across the street from the campus. And so Bill goes off to church. And he got, I keep hitting the wire. I got there, he got there late. And as he walked into the church, he realized this place is full. There was no place to sit anywhere. And he started walking from the back. And he came down and he looked. And there was no room in those aisles. And he came back and he, nope, no room in those pews. And he kept coming forward and coming forward. And the people in the church were like, oh my, what is this? Because they were all sitting there in their suits and their ties. And here comes Bill with his long hair. His ripped up jeans, no shoes on his feet, ratty old t-shirt, just looking the way Bill is. And he kept looking, no seats, no seats, no seats. And he gets all the way down to the front, no seats. So he just sat down on the floor, crossed his leg, started listening to the sermon. And everybody's like, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden, old deacon in the church, he stands up from the back and he starts coming forward. And everybody's like, yeah, he's going to fix this situation. He's going to let this guy know this is not the way we do things here in the church. So he comes walking forward, walking forward, walking forward. And he gets up there to Bill. And what does he do? Sits down on the floor. And he folds his leg, crosses his legs, sits next to Bill, listens to the sermon. And I share that story because in the story, Bill was a Christian, and he wasn't welcome in the church for the suits and the ties or, or the nice red vest. You know, I had to pull it out of the closet today, get sort of independence. It feels nice. But he wasn't welcome. Could you imagine if Bill wasn't a Christian? How, how the church would have reacted? And it's a lesson that comes out of God's Word for each and every one of us. Who are the people of God? Who are the people of God? Because if they're not welcome into the church, then they're never going to hear about the provision of God. And they might never become the people of God. Yet God's Word says they come from far away. And far away means they don't look like me. They don't look like you. They don't act like me. They don't act like you. They don't say the things I say. They don't do the things I do. Yet God says the gospel's for them. The, provi the provision, the provision, the power of God is there for them. I pray that we already have the provision of God in our lives, that we already know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior in our lives.
I pray that we are already considered the people of God in our lives. question that we have to ponder is, are we ready for people to come from far, far away? So what do we do with this? Remember, God is in control. The power of God is there, taking care of the world around us. It's nothing. We don't need to fear anything. We don't need to walk through life in concern and fear. God is in control. We have a God who, who, with all of his mighty power, is over this world. We're in a day of dark spiritual battle, but we need to remember it's a spiritual battle. And what is God teaching us in our own lives? And so the question that falls back to each of us, are we resting in the power of God and in the hand of God, or are we trying to control things ourselves? We need to rest in the power of God to spiritually arm ourselves and put on the full armor of God and to pray. Know the provision of God is there for each and every one of us. Oh, there's finances, but that is so small. And the provision of God, the provision of God is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God sent his son to die on the cross for each and every one of us. The provision of God, that's what I want us all to hear. You know, you may say, well, Ralph, you said that last week. Yep, and I'm going to say it next week. And I'm going to say it the week after again. If, if people go around Newville and say, oh, don't go up there to Green Spring Ch- Brethren in Christ Church, all they do is preach about being saved and about Jesus Christ every week. If that's our reputation, I'll, I'll live with it. The provision of God is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Know it. Believe it. Trust in him. There is no other way to heaven except through Jesus Christ, and that is the mighty provision that we can trust in. And we need to know that the people of God is bigger than us. To trust that God wants his church to grow. I love the verse in the Bible, and I don't know the reference, where, where God tells the Israelites, loosen your tent strings. Loosen your tent strings. What does that mean? It means get ready for a bigger tent. In our lives, in our little circles, we need to always loosen our tent strings and get ready for a bigger tent because God wants people to come into our lives from far away. It's the work that God wants to do in each and every one of us. We are a people of God. We need to know that this place has to always be about people because people need the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that your love shines deep into our lives. I thank you that your mercy touches our lives. This morning, Heavenly Father, anybody within the sound of my voice doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation in their lives where they say, yes, Lord, I need you. I I need you to be the one who forgives me. I need you to be the one that cleanses me. I need you to be the one that washes me and makes me whiter than snow. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for that work that you're going to do in each of our lives. Heavenly Father, I, I do ask that you continue to help us to trust in you and not trust in our own ways. We, we live in a time where people want to be crafty and and manipulative and all kinds of other things, Lord. But as Christians, we need to sit back and know that you are in control. There's not a thing that happens in this world, Lord, that, that's a surprise to you. I, I truly believe, Lord, you are the sovereign God not only over our lives, but over this world and over this universe. Help us to trust in you.
to trust in your power, to trust in the things that you would have happen. But help us to be a people, Lord. As we trust in you, help us to be a people that is about the gospel and about helping others to know you. That's the mission that you gave to us. I know, Lord, I can't find in your word anywhere that you told any of us to go and start a revolution. But you did tell us to go out and share the gospel. So, Lord, help us to be a people of obedience to you. We're carrying forth your purposes. We're taking the provision that you've given to us, sharing it with the world. Because people need the Lord. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for being with us in this house today. I thank you for your grace and your mercy in this house. I thank you for the opportunity to worship with others. It is so uplifting, Heavenly Father, to be in a body of believers praising your name. It does our spirits good to worship you and your Holy Spirit descending upon this place and filling our hearts. Be with each of us as we go different ways today. Be with us in our homes, and may those homes be a place where you are glorified and you are lifted up. May your love go with us. May your hedge of protection be around us. Lift this all to you. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. God be with you. I hope you have a wonderful week. I hope everything goes well for you. Take care.